Hey everyone, Stephen here. So the following podcast is not actually going to be a Sacred Tension episode. It is a feature from my podcast on Patreon called House of Heretics. It is only accessible to my patrons. I thought I would share it with you uh, to give you an idea of what you're missing over on Patreon. And uh, if you like what you hear, then please go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long and consider donating. For a dollar a month or five dollars a month, you get House of Heretics, you get other content from me, and you get access to me as a creator. Uh, so this is really, really important to me because I am uh, way below the poverty line right now and I'm working full time. That's just the reality we live in these days that, you know, I can work full time and still be poor as fuck. And so I really need your help. And I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in getting my work out there to the world. And uh, it's a lot of work and I need your help to do it. So if you believe in what I'm doing and if you find yourself really looking forward to sacred tension every single week, if you also like the work we're doing at the Rock Candy Podcast Network, if you listen to Bubble and Squeak or Bible Bash or Eleven D Life, all of that is going to be helped through my Patreon. So not only will it help me pay the bills, it will also help ensure a better and brighter future for my work as a creator and for those who work with me. By the way, the the uh, co-host of House of Heretics is my assistant, Justin Doja Bryant. He's a great guy and uh, go support his work on Twitter and Instagram. He also has a podcast coming out. He blogs, so I'll post all of that stuff in the description. So, by the way, House of Heretics is very unedited, very raw, and uh, a lot of people say that they enjoy it as much as the main show, if not more so. So, without any further ado, I give you House of Heretics. Okay, and we are recording. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. All right. So you're uh, doing Navy stuff. Oh, hold on just a second. Why, hello, everyone. Hello, my <laughs> kittens. <laughs> I feel like every week it's like the intro is you like, oh, I forgot we were recording. Oh, I, have to say hello. oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that this is a show. <laughs> hello, and then, my and then cupcakes. I, and then I laugh. I, I do my my like... I can't breathe laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Your asthmatic smokers laugh. Okay. Well, hello, my <laughs> kittens, my unicorns. I'm so glad that you are joining us this week. This is House of Heretics, the show where Justin and I drink coffee and give unedited rambling for the week. Um, so today is Thursday, the 20th, the day after my birthday. This will air on... The uh, this will air on Saturday, so like the twenty second. Yes, the twenty second. Okay, so you're doing Navy stuff. Yeah, and uh, let's it's... recap. I feel like a piece of shit because I didn't know that your birthday was. Oh, I don't care. Don't I? I don't give a fuck. It's fine. It's the thirty first. It's it's my thirty first birthday, and no one cares about thirty one. Like I'm not gonna. The only birthdays that are going to matter from here on out are like 35, 40, 50, 80, like no one gives a fuck. 100, like from here on out, no one gives a fuck. Oh, well, I care. So. Oh, that's very Happy sweet. Happy 31st birthday. Thank you. I'm very I'm very much a Jehovah's Witness uh when it comes to birthdays. I just don't give a fuck. I really don't mm -hmm. care. Also, I have to say, it was very encouraging seeing the cross-section of people on Facebook wishing me happy birthday uh, because it was Satanists, radical far-right conspiracy theorists, goths, yogis, trans people, LGBT Christians. Like, <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty crazy mix, people. It was fun. That's awesome. But yeah, yeah I'm doing Navy stuff. Um, so 
if nobody knows, I tried to join the Air Force um, not too long ago. The guy was being really difficult with me, and I was like, okay, I guess I can't go into the military. So I looked, uh, my housemate, he joined the Navy and was like, dude, you could literally get in, like, no problem. And I'm like, okay, let me try this out. Went and talked with a recruiter and uh, got interested. They have a position called um, RP, uh -huh. which is religious personnel. So basically, if I went in, um, it's a super badass position. So not only would I be helping conduct services for multiple religions um, under the chaplain, I'm his, I'm his right-hand man or her right-hand man. Um, because or can be their right-hand man. Or their right-hand man. Um, and so you basically do all the admin work. Hmm. Um, you do... You help put on the service, so you set up for services, um, whether that be Hindu, Muslim, Wiccan, um, nice Buddhist, in any religion, okay, or any denomination. You you set up the service for it, That's and cool. um, on top of that, you also go through combat training. So while the chaplain can't hold a gun, you can hold a gun. Uh -huh. So, you so to you're going to be so you're going to be the chaplain's like armor bearer. <laughs> you're going to be his. His arbor bearer. So you're gonna like shoot people if they attack the chaplain. That's what I'm getting from this. Basically, so if you are deployed in like Afghanistan, Iraq, place where radical terrorists are, yeah, um, you have to be able to protect the chaplain at all costs. And but mental note that there are radical terrorists everywhere, not just in Afghanistan. There might be yeah. a greater concentration of them there, but they're everywhere. Anyway, yeah, go that's on. true. Um, but it, the likelihood of me, if I if I did RP, the likelihood of me ever seeing combat would be. Oh, yeah. Very slim, slim to nothing. Very, very, very slim. Yeah. Most of it is just like. And when I say operators. and when I say that there are radical terrorists everywhere, I don't mean Islamic radical terrorists. Come on, people. Pull yourselves together. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there terrorists, are Buddhist terrorists, terrorists there of are... all stripes. <laughs> exactly. So. Okay, well, this is exciting. So I assume that you would have to do like the boot camp and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, yep, have fun. It's, uh, two two months of, of boot uh, boot camp, um, and then I am far too delicate for that. I am I am a a powdered eunuch who could never do anything like that. <laughs> the uh, the cra the two craziest things for me. Well, there's three crazy things. So one would be you have to get this thing called the peanut butter shot, which is like just a massive lump of penicillin that's thick like peanut butter that they shoot in your butt. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, then there's a uh, there's a training or that you have to do where you jump off of a 10-foot ledge into the pool and you have to tread water for five minutes. So um, I don't do well with heights, so it'll be interesting seeing okay. how that goes. Nice. Well, that's but, exciting. Then there's um, the third part is I get to be put inside of a gas chamber <laughs> and uh -huh. uh, they you go in with a gas mask on and then you take your gas your gas mask off and you uh, you inhale it for thir for somewhere between 30 to 60 seconds. Uh huh. OK. <laughs> <clears throat> Great. Good. Good times. Um, well, so when will this be happening if you do this? I'm not quite sure. Um, okay. I have to get paperwork together. I have to pay off debt to my school so that way I can get my transcript from college. Because if I have any kind of credit hours, I could potentially get a pay raise. Yeah. So, so I would rather not go in as a private. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, cool. All right. Well, keep me updated. We'll see what happens. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, so we have some... There, there's been some interesting stuff in the news lately. Uh, the the Taylor Swift music video came out, and it's apparently causing all kinds of uproar, all kinds of insanity. So for people who don't know, what's the what's it called again? You need to calm down. Yeah. You need to calm down. So Justin sent me this music video. I'm sure that you have all seen it uh, by now. And, I mean, it's a fun video. It, it has a bunch of queer camp in it. And like there is so much 
gay royalty in it, like the Fab Five, or is it the Fab Four, or this Fab, Fab Five? Fab Seven. Okay, Fab Five. I don't even know. I've never seen Queer Eye. Oh my god! You need to do your queer responsibility and watch it. No, it isn't horror, so I'm never going to watch it. Oh my god! But it's like I it, don't care. It's like okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm queer enough. I, you know, I think I'm. I think I. I mean, I have a partner who I have sex with. I think I'm queer enough. <laughs> you wear your breastplate of rainbow. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so and then RuPaul is in it, and then quite a few other, I think, YouTube stars are in it. Mm-hmm. Like Ellen's in it. Yeah, Ellen's in it. Like a, there are a ton of uh, LGBT icons in this video but what is the uproar over it the uproar is um there's a lot of people who are like oh my gosh this straight white woman is making money off of us making money off of our community and a lot of comments have been you know this feels degrading to me and she needs to either come out or be quiet and then on the flip side of it though there's these comments that are like okay well you know, we asked her to be vocal and she wasn't. And then now that she is vocal, you want her to be quiet. And there's all kinds of drama around that. And I'm like, it mm. doesn't make any, oh, sorry, hiccups. It doesn't make any sense. Like she's, she's openly being an ally. She's openly saying that this is something we need to do. You need to just grow up. You need to, you need to shut up. You need to grow up. You need to just to, accept. Uh... To the far right is because basically, basic, yeah. So basically, the the video shows like a ton of protesters, uh, like conservative protesters, uh, protesting LGBT people, and it they are, and, and she's basically telling them you need to calm down. Right, and it's, it what it reminds me of is um, I was explaining this to Audrey. I was because I've talked to Audrey about Matthew Shepard quite a bit. And his significance. Yeah. Um, so that reminded me of the protest for him because they all started like blocking the protesters and the music video. And it felt like an allegory to the Matthew Shepard story where mm. they came out in the angel costumes with the um, with the big angel wings and they made a curtain blocking them out for his funeral. Like that's what it reminded me of. And I was I'm like, there's just so much powerful symbolism in here that acknowledges so much deep history within the LGBT community yeah. that it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense why people are upset about it. Like, yeah, why can't, why well, can't allies be allies? Why can't allies speak? Why can't, uh, see my position is like, if you have privilege, why don't you use that privilege to help other people? Yeah, absolutely. So I have, so situations like this are really fascinating to me and they're really complicated. Um, so, I was having a conversation with my really good friend, Matt Langston, uh, of 117, 11 Life, Rock Candy Recordings. He is my boss daddy who produces Sacred Tension. And we were talking about the show Sabrina. And this was when I was in, in his studio, I think several months ago or last year. And the movie Sabrina, uh, or not the movie, the show Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which I happened to really like. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was cheesy and stupid and, and campy, but I thought it was self-aware and I really enjoyed it. But there there were things in it that I thought were frustrating. Um, for for example, the fact that a black, you know, that black characters were in it. And I in many ways, I thought Sabrina was very, very progressive, very, very, you know, aware of identity. And, um, but there, but even then, you know, the, the fact that the black characters were these kind of mystical character, magical black tropes who just support the white, the white girl on her journey, on her hero's journey. Um, that's a trope that's, that's annoying to me, but at the same time, but then Matt was like, okay, but, but when is it enough? You know, like, Sure, that's an issue, but but when are people going to be happy? When is it enough? And when when and and my response was just because that there are problems doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. 
you know, there, there's going to, yeah. this is, this is a commentary on society. This is a commentary on our world, on our culture. And just because someone like Anita Sarkeesian comes along and says, you know, video games are sexist, that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy those video games. And of course, this is what launched uh, Gamergate. You know, the people, people really respond badly to criticism of art, to kind of woke, progressive criticism of art. And what I think is often misunderstood is that that doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Like some of my favorite pieces of art, Dickens. I am a Dickens fangirl. Uh, Charles Dickens is one of my favorite writers on the planet. He's horribly sexist. Like... He's all of his all of his female characters are meek, mild, plain, demurring women. I mean, he's just he's horribly, horribly sexist. And we can still enjoy Dickens like this is the complicated relationship that we can have to art. We can acknowledge that there are problems and we can enjoy it. And so I have not investigated the Taylor Swift thing at all. I don't care. I don't give a fuck like. I, I have never cared about Taylor Swift, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's some issue in there. It wouldn't surprise me if there's if there's a problem in there somewhere. And we and we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be willing to embrace the fact that there's a problem in there. Maybe I don't know if there is or not. But then it's also okay if we enjoy it. It's okay. We can hold those things simultaneously. It's okay if there's something problematic in there, and it's okay if there is an awesome, positive, affirming message in there. And we can hold all of that simultaneously. Clearly, the Fab Five and RuPaul and Ellen and all of these people, they thought that there was something valuable in there to be included in the video. I mean, granted, they were also probably paid a bajillion dollars <laughs> for their appearance. But... um. Yeah, that that's my thought. I, I tr really try to resist this purifying impulse to see things in, in just absolute stroke, you know, in, in, in absolute black and white. I think that there's probably a lot of good stuff in the video. I think there's probably some some negative stuff that maybe some mm -hmm. cultural critics are are genuinely pointing out. And. All of that is great. Like let yeah. we can we can hold on to all of that. I'm also just not interested in telling people how to feel about something. You know, like if people are pissed about that, that's fine. Who cares? That's fine. People can be pissed if people love it. That's fine too. Who cares? I don't have I don't know. In a lot of ways I I don't have the energy for the anguish that people I don't have the energy for not the anguish. I always have energy for anguish because it's real. But I don't have the energy for the single-minded, myopic, intense focus that people have on issues, like on a video, when the reality is that I, as a gay person, can still get fired in the state of North Carolina just for being gay. Or I can still be evicted just for being gay. Or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, those are my, those are my ambivalent thoughts about this. That's, I, I agree with you there that everything isn't black and white. The thing is, is that like, <clears throat> so you look back on history at all of the amazing figures who have done great things. So with the, I would take somebody kind of in my circle. So think of Gandhi. Yeah. Gandhi led a revolution of peace against the British empire and liberated India. Yes. Like, he had, oh, can you hear me? Yep, I Hello? can hear you. Hi. Okay, cool. It, um, so he led peaceful protests in ways that were just unthinkable, that were so wise. Unprecedented. And he did yeah. a lot. Yeah, he, he did. did a, I mean, one, one man who got the religious title of Mahatma, yeah. which is extremely high. Yes. I mean, he, he was basically viewed as, as a guru. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to me that, you know, now history is showing that he was also very sexually active, sleeping with a lot of his followers, doing this, doing that. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. manipulating young women. But that doesn't mean that he didn't do good work. And I'm not saying that what exactly. that his actions were inherently like I'm not I'm not saying that what he, those actions were good. And you can say the same thing about MLK Jr. Martin Absolutely. Luther King Jr. He had affairs. He was a womanizer. He did all of these crazy things that history doesn't that like if you actually do the studies, you find these these out. But you're not going to learn it by, you know, your through, eighth grade through popular culture. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. I mean, this shit is I mean, complicated. It is. And, and morality isn't black or white. There is no way for there to be a right or a wrong. There is a better way and there is a less better way. I actually had a conversation with this. I don't know if you've been on my Facebook very much, but um, no, unfortunately, uh, whenever there's always there's always exciting drama on your Facebook. Oh, <laughs> oh, we just got a patron. We just got Ooh. a patron. Literally, I just got the email. Samuel Haber. Hello, Samuel. It is so nice to... Oh, we've been actually exchanging emails uh, over the past few months. So welcome aboard. I'm so glad you're here. Um, and so, may, uh, may so, we cover you in rainbow. Yes, yeah, so we will paint you. Paint you in rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> we will festoon you in fucking rainbows and unicorns <laughs> to the point that you're gagging on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have me... You, 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 you lost me at gagging. I was like, I can't handle this. <laughs> I'm sorry. So was that creepy? Was that rapey? Oh, dear. I'm no. sorry, Samuel. We're not going to chase you away. Thank you so much, Samuel. You're a doll. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, for real. Uh, <laughs> I need this money so bad. You have no idea. You have no fucking clue. We're buying a house, by the way. Yeah. Uh, John and I are buying a house. Actually, more, more to the point. John is buying a house and uh, I'm being a gay housewife. And so um, my finances are a bit tight right now. So every little bit helps. I really, really, really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, Justin's talking to his wife, to his dearly beloved wife. So his audio's down. Okay. Are yes, you back? Okay. So, yes. So um, what's what's interesting to me is, uh, can, you, can you shut that door, babe? The AC just gets really loud. Sounds like a monster in the hallway. Yeah, I have a tan one. Oh, that's cute. <sighs> yeah, it uh -oh. sounds like a heavy breathing monster in the background. What? I have two heavy breathing monsters in the background that are my my puppers. Oh, good. I'm glad you didn't say your wife. I'm glad. I'm glad one of them was not your wife. <laughs> but uh, the the morality issue. So on my Facebook. So whenever I get like a lot of the times I do like mind yoga. Um, so I'll, I'll do a lot of yoga with the mind, uh, it's a jhana yoga, which is just mind work, knowledge, uh, meditating, wisdom, that sort of thing yeah. in the head. And, um, because that's what I can do during my day whenever I'm at my day job. So I'll like, I have these insights and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. So I'll, I'll like tweet it or I'll make like a, a graphic for it. Or I'll post it on Facebook. And one of them was like, uh, here, let me pull it up. Just let me uh, read it off because I don't want to butcher it. Because it was, it was just really, really great and insightful whenever mm -hmm. I typed it. Mm -hmm. um, it says, no matter what you think, you're not better than anyone. And when I had posted it, I was like, okay, a lot of times we have judgment and we think that we're better than people like these positions with like MLK being a womanizer and Gandhi sleeping with women, even though, you know, his position and status and all of these different things. So it's like, you know, everybody's trying, everybody's trying to do the best that they can and nobody's perfect because we're all trying to be human beings. Yeah. Uh, and somebody mentioned, they were like, uh, at least we can all agree that we're better than pedophiles. And I was like, okay, so how do I handle this? Because obviously this is a really sensitive topic um, to be able to, to even speak on. And so my, uh, my response was that all depends on if you see the actions of the person as separate from the self. I think molesting children is quite awful and they could be helpful to put that aside and recognize that the action is wrong. But that doesn't mean that the person deep down is awful. Psychology and neuroscience leans towards an issue in the brain makes a pedophile who they are. Yeah. Does the mental illness make them less than someone who doesn't have this condition? 
Does that make them less than someone who has bipolar, multiple personality disorder, autism, or any other brain disorder? The act itself is evil, but is the person? Doesn't yeah. watching porn fetishize others' bodies and puts ideas that can objectify them as well? There's a lot to deconstruct when it comes to these issues, but yet still we are all human and equally human trying to make means of our existence. That's not me defending pedophilia or justifying it either. I want to make that clear. The problem points to the pride that manifests when we compare ourselves as better than another person. Hmm. And so it was like, morality is not a black and white issue. Yeah. And well, also, a lot of what I've say, but, well, say that someone does, does live with pedophilia and it is a, um, it's a paraphilia, I think, according to the DSM five or whatever, which, whatever, which one we we're on, I would have to ask John. He's the he's the psychologist in the family. But so if someone has pedophilia or, or, or has the orientation, or no, I'm not going to say the word orientation, ha has those attractions, has those inclinations and chooses not to act on them, I would say that they are actually more moral because they wake up every day and choose to deny themselves knowing the harm that they would do and i would actually say that they are that they have more integrity than someone like me you know that that takes a lot of strength that takes a lot of courage and strength to confront that within yourself right and so i would say that they are they are actually pretty you know i listened to an interview i i've listened to interviews with people who live with uh, pedophilia, but decide not to act on it. And and what I've walked away from is, wow, that's really tragic. Wow, that's really awful. That that people are just, you know, that that people have this this cross wiring in their brain that makes them want this. Um, but I also think it's really noble and heroic that they, the way in which they confront their inner darkness and and choose to not act it out. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> Science Mike actually touched on this topic because one of his his listeners like admitted saying that he's never acted on it and he doesn't go searching for kitty porn, but it's something yeah. that he really does struggle with. Yeah, and the fact that he lives with it because it is it is a mental disorder. It, it's a it medical. Is it is that, a medical disorder. It is, uh, yeah, it it is a medical issue, and it's and so I think that we can hold both things equally like, yeah, this is a horrific, horrific, horrific thing to do to children. And there's absolutely nothing that, I mean, the, the damage it causes, not just on children, but also on society is unprecedented and disgusting and horrible. Like we can say all that and we can hold in the other hand, people don't choose to have this desire and it, and, and we need to treat, people humanely and with understanding and not stigmatize their condition yeah i i think we can hold both of those equally right a lot of what i've been focusing on lately is um i started i've started seeing like this need for transcendence like what happens when we go beyond black and white what happens when we go beyond uh, right or left issues? What happens when we go beyond all of this? And a lot of this, I don't know if I've touched on this or not. I probably have, but it goes back to like this one page and be here now where the cops create hippies and hippies create cops. And it's yeah. in that infinite symbol. And it's like when we transcend this bipartisan black or white, left or right, up or down, when we transcend that, not only can we be a part of it, but not, but we can also go above it and see it from an above view from a, a different perspective where we can see both sides. We can act justly and accordingly to what needs to be done and find some sort of truth within that. And so it's like, um, mm. it's, I don't know, it's just like this, this overpowering, this empowering thing, because when you start to see that the left creates the right and the right creates the left and this, this struggle and this tension creates this. And you're able to transcend beyond that. 
then you're able to bridge the gap between the two. And I'm not saying being a centralist or, or you know, yeah. be meek in between the issues. Yeah. But it's it's going beyond that and seeing, okay, what is what's going on here and how can we figure this out above everything? How can we step out of the box? How can we step out of um, the labels? How can we step out of everything, shed everything and see everything as it truly is? Yeah. And I, th I think that would help out a lot in those situations. Um, even, even when it comes to things like that Taylor Swift video that we had just talked about, whenever you're able to transcend beyond that and you see what's actually going on within this and you're not focused on the good or the bad the right or the wrong or or the past or the future and you see what's going on here and and present in this moment and what what it's capable of like i think that there is is a huge example of um i guess presentness yeah. divinity yeah and um really seeing things for what they are yeah, I I think that's probably true. And you know, I I get why people are upset over Taylor Swift. Like I I really do. Um especially when people are feeling already hurt and angry in their personal lives, you know, like when 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 those wounds are festering a lot of stuff triggers it. And so I'm not going to tell people who are upset by Taylor Swift that they're wrong. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take those feelings away from them. I think that those feelings are probably valid and I'm not interested in, I don't know, demeaning, denying, whatever. Um, I get the frustration over... I don't know. I also feel like Taylor Swift has a particular... She she represents commercialism and capitalist society in a way that maybe other pop stars don't, if that makes sense. Kind of. I know she, uh, she, for the longest time, wouldn't have any of her music on iTunes because, and, or Spotify oh, okay. because um, she refused to because she said that artists weren't getting the proper pay that they deserve for yeah. the music. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Well, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, and and I mean, she's just one of those people I don't know anything about. But what's really interesting to me, I, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to also tell people that their feelings of validation from that video are wrong. Like, I'm not going to do that. And is there problematic stuff in there? I'm sure there is. And, I th and I'm sure that there's stuff that we could dissect. At the same time, I appreciate that she's trying to put in an effort you know, I appreciate that she's trying to be an ally and putting in the effort, and I appreciate that. At the same time, we can still criticize, and both of those are true. What's really interesting to me is I wonder if Lady Gaga got similar criticism for Born This Way back in 2012. You know, that's something I'd have to look into. Yeah. And the thing is, is and that is was that eons ago now. Like, that was in 2012. And, and gay born years, this that was way, like ten thousand years. <laughs> yeah, and in gay years, that's like eons. In internet years, that's ancient history. In internet years, that's like forever ago, but like centuries and centuries. But you know, I there are times when I feel like okay, my thoughts aren't fully formed on this. So there are times when. Because I did not, I did not hear that outcry with Lady Gaga, and maybe because she did something right, or maybe it was a different time, or maybe there was, you know, when she did "Born This Way," and and did that amazing "Born This Way" music video, and it was just like the queerest thing on the planet. Um, there, I don't know, was there something different that Lady Gaga did, or was the context different? for Lady Gaga than what Taylor Swift did. And this is what this is what leads me to think that maybe people aren't just being trigger happy and and being easily triggered and being like, "Oh, she's just a white woman co-opting our story." Maybe because Lady Gaga is also a white woman talking about LGBT issues and she had lots of people of color in that music video. And and so that makes me think that 
maybe there's something there. Maybe there's maybe there is something about Taylor Swift that is upsetting. That isn't upsetting about Lady Gaga, you know, and or maybe it was just a different time. Maybe it was a different culture. Gay marriage wasn't wasn't federally legal yet. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. Maybe maybe the culture has shifted. I don't know. But this is stuff that's really, really interesting to me that is kind of lurking beneath the surface of of all these questions, you know? Oh, you're on mute. Yeah, uh, there you go. Oh, yeah. It could be... Um... It could be that the times are different. Um, I know that, that with Taylor Swift, uh, people are talking about, you know, she said racist things in the past. She said Has um, she? she seemed kind of homophobic in the past and things huh. like that, okay. which is, which is uh, I guess, valid, valid feelings. I'm not going to discredit oh, yeah. those feelings. Yeah, people can it's, be upset uh, about that for sure. It's, I also think that people's positions can change. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Look at look at your story and my story. Like you are gay and you were anti-gay yes, at one point in your life. I was. I was. And I was a conservative <laughs> douchebag libertarian Christian. I mean, yeah. I've been a lot of things in my life. And I've been a conservative Catholic. I've been, you know, all, I've been all kinds of things in my short 31 years. And so people do change. And I will also say that I think I do, and I want to be careful saying this because, goodness, I've been on the receiving end of the left, and it is not fun. But <laughs> but the but the left does get trigger happy sometimes. the The left does, um, on the the left, especially on Twitter. I mean, Twitter just turns us all into monsters. It really does. The internet yeah. turns all of us into assholes, and the left is no exception. And I, I do think that people on the far left do get angry in a way that is not always helpful. And part of it is just my temperament. I don't experience anger. Anger is not a reaction that I of, often have. I'm more melancholic. My experience is more grief sadness remorse um that depression though those are those are my go-to feelings when shit goes wrong i don't experience rage that that isn't i have before i i still do sometimes but it isn't an emotion that I readily experience. I find it exhausting. And that doesn't mean it's a bad emotion. It just means that's not my temperament. And so I don't relate to this to to this rage that the internet Twitter left seems to constantly be embroiled in, in part because it, that emotion is not as accessible to me. I experience sadness. I experience grief. And that doesn't make me better than anyone else. But I think that there is something about rage that's very blinding. I think there's something about rage that's very intoxicating. And uh, and I see people acting out of rage. Okay, so for example, um, I have a friend who shall at this point remain nameless, but he, has, he is kind of a, a kind of a big figure in the conservative gay side b celibate world and uh he's recently changed his views he can't he is now side a he has a boyfriend and he's in the process of coming out to the community well now so well there's this guy on twitter who i know who was like now that you're side a okay so for people who are clueless side a is the belief that people that that gay marriage and and gay relationships are morally equivalent to straight relationships whereas side b is the belief that uh you can't change your homosexuality but you can but it is sinful to engage in it okay so he changed from side b to side a to an affirming position of gay relationships and this guy on twitter breaking confidentiality because he's only talked about this to close friends and to like and within private groups and this guy publicly on twitter in front of everyone before my friend is ready is like well now that you're side a are you going to apologize for all the for all the harm 
and all the destruction that you've wrought against LGBTQ people. And I'm like, my friend has been one of the most charitable, kind, thoughtful people I have ever known. Like, for real. He, he's an extraordinary human being. And he did not choose to be, to, he did not choose to find himself in a conservative traditional church that indoctrinated him in a particular way. And as far as, and I told him this, I was like, as far as I'm concerned, your choosing to change sides amounts to an apology because it's the acknowledgement that you are wrong. But as for personal attitudes and actions, you've been nothing but but kind and generous and long-suffering, and you have struggled. And, you know, sure, we can all apologize for the consequences of our beliefs. That's fine. And, And... I've done that. I recommend everyone do that. Um, and I think part of that apology, part of repentance, means turning away, doing, doing a complete turn away from that belief system, that action, and behaving in a different way to make reparations. And my friend is doing that. And, and I get that this guy on Twitter was angry. I get that he was that he's hurt. I get all of that. At the same time, I'm just like, what's your goal? Do you want to win? Do you want to win this culture war? Do you want to be effective? Do you want to win people to your side? Then this is the absolute wrong strategy. I and I know this because I and you know, I will only say this on, you know, this <laughs> kind of private stream, this private podcast, because we're among friends. I have watched dozens of people come to an affirming position in part because of my witness. And you know how I do it? Because I'm kind. I'm kind. I'm long suffering. These relationships take place over the course of years. And the number of people I have watched come to an affirming position primarily or in part because of me is dozens now. So many. I can't keep I can't keep count. And I just want to be like, how many how many do you have? <laughs> like, how many people have you convinced by being a, a bitch on Twitter? Like for real. How many you we have to this is a war. This is a battle. This is a war for the soul of our culture. This is a war for the lives of innocent people who are being destroyed. And I get lashing out. But if we but if this is a war, we have to be a bit more shrewd. We have to be a bit more clever. We have to be a bit more um uh conspiratorial for lack of a better word. And I look at so many people on the left and I'm just like, do you want to fucking win this battle? Because right now you are losing because of how you are, because of how you are talking. You have to use a bit more strategy. And I can say that because my strategy has worked. Anyway, thus endeth the rant. Things yeah. that I won't say publicly, <laughs> but I, but it's true. And there's a place for rage. There's a place for calling people out. There's a place for all of that. Just just be mindful. Use it strategically. Don't let it be the the only tool in your in your kit. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's a few thoughts I have on that. So um, the first thought that I had was, you know, one with with anger and rage. When you study neuroscience, um, when you get angry, your amygdala flares up. Exactly, which is and it shuts down. It shuts mm-hmm. down the the prefrontal cortex yeah and so all of your reasoning all of your rest oh oh you're just froze up are you still there Hello. hi yep hi okay <laughs> the uh when the amygdala flares up um all of your rationing and your reasoning and your will it shuts down there's there's no way for you to be able to respond or react um in a 
in a manner that could be productive. I mean, there's a chance that you might, but chances are like, I mean, you, you just, you're unable to think because you're just in utter rage. And yeah. most of the time people make horrible mistakes whenever they're in this horrible rage. Yeah, I have. Um, I've said shitty stuff. Yeah. And um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't cause anything that's good. And that's not saying that anger is, is bad or inherently bad or anything like that. It's just like, like when you look at the, the science of it, it's you're just, unable yeah. to judge and you're unable to have awareness or, or any, it's just, it's just, just the one physiology. Thing. Yeah. You just, you blow up, you shut down black. That's what happens. Yep. And, um, a lot of, a lot of bad things happen whenever your amygdala flares up because your entire brain at that point shuts down. It does. Um, <laughs> and, and here's the thing that I, that I tell people, uh, you know, in the first, uh, Star Trek reboot, there's that point where Spock says, I am emotionally compromised. <laughs> Do you remember that? What uh it's with Chris Pine and and Zachary Quinto, and Zachary Quinto is Spock, and and there's a point where Spock gets over overly emotional or something, and and he says, I have been I've been emotionally compromised. I have to, you know, basically opt out or or step down. And we have to do that too. You know, if we are grieving, if we are dealing with with horrible, horrible pain, you know, Rachel Held Evans, you know, may she rest in eternal memory, said to to write out of scars, not open wounds. And that's a really wise thing to to make a boundary with. There are things that I don't talk about because it's just too fresh. It just hurts too much. It isn't time. And but there are scars that I can write from. And that and, and so I feel like for the sake uh you know, the main concern that I have when I see people on Twitter, um the the two main concerns I have when I see you know, people on the left responding really intensely and viscerally, and I think not strategically. Um, one concern is that it isn't strategic and it isn't going to help us win. But the other strategy, and this, okay, this isn't this isn't to say that we can't, this isn't about tone policing, this isn't, sometimes people need to see that rage. Sometimes people need to see that hurt and anger. Like, like the hurt in Black Lives Matter, the rage, the anger, People need to see that. Like, white people need to get over it and see that shit. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, what I'm saying is there's a time and a, there, there's a time and a place for it. And and getting getting responding with the same level of rage and intensity and and bitterness and anger and vindictiveness to say Taylor Swift versus you know policemen killing unarmed young men. Those are out of that is not an appropriate reaction. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like that is not appropriate. People getting in, you know, people getting into a rage over a public figure saying something just slightly off color or slightly problematic. Let's there. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. And um. But but when I and, and so when people respond in rage to something, the the other concern I have is you look like you're in pain. This is clearly hurting you. Like the fact that you are responding with such vis visceral pain to a movie that did something problematic. Um, it's appropriate to criticize it, but the level of anguish that I see is worrying to me and i worry about people who are experiencing that level of and i've been there i have been in those shoes and it's awful where it's like you don't have any skin like and and you're just raw nerve and anything that lays a hand on you it feels like you're on fire like i get that and i think that's when when people have to when when you have to retreat and retreat to your safe space retreat to your uh secure place where you can heal and because 
it it will ultimately at the end of the day do more damage to you and that's what i came to that's what i realized is you know back in 2013 i am in, i was in too much pain i was re- reacting with too much hurt and anger to literally every single thing under the sun uh you know to straight allies you know to straight allies trying to help and i would just respond with rage and hurt and bitterness and it got to the point where i was like you know i just have to step down i just have to i just have to get off the internet and i did for about a year and a half and that's exactly mm-hmm. what i needed I um I had two more thoughts from Sorry, I totally derailed your uh No, you're good. your train of thought. Anyway, go on. No, you didn't derail it. Um so my my second thought was um you're you're definitely a satanist that uh shows the fruits of the spirit pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You uh you definitely encompass the the Christ. I'm glad as, I try in your Satanist ways. I, I try. I found, it's it's so paradoxical, and I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, there was a another thought that came to me, and this was my third thought out of it all. Was at a conversation with my good friend Johnny at one point. Whenever um, it was a time where I was really angry and speaking out a lot, and he said you know I, we him and i just to give a background we had we had had a lot of conversations about like um stepping stepping into prophetic roles and speaking out and doing things like that and he said you know i think that in the future instead of in the past we've seen a lot of of prophets of anger and you look in the bible and a lot of the prophets are angry and yeah you see prophets uh throughout history that just speaking out in anger but he was like you know i think in the future we're going to need to see prophets of love and prophets of compassion so that way we can actually see some good change happen because everything's changing and anger is not going to get us very, very far whenever it comes to handling issues. Rather, if we become prophets with love and compassion, the world is going to change rapidly and amazingly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, I think that anger has a place. I think it is real. And I think we should get angry about shit. And I think that we need to panic about stuff. You know, emotions that we often, emotions that we often deem as negative and that we don't want to live in, some, those are necessary. Like we need to panic about climate change. Like it's time to panic. It is time to freak the fuck out. And World War II, as David Wallace Wells points out, was not out, was not fought out of this calm serenity it was fought out of panic that we're going to lose the world that we're going to lose the modern world to the most to a horrifying regime you know and so we often feel like there is not a place for these emotions but there is um and this is something that i can't that i'm this is like a balance that I'm constantly trying to deal with is I, my temperament is towards um, gentleness and serenity and, (laughs) you know, and, and not rage. And I think that that has served me very, very, very well. And I think that has helped me enormously in a lot of my activism. Um, but I'm also not going to tell people how to do their shit, you know? So, but, so, yes, and. <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, there was an, I think we're actually almost done. There was an article that I wanted to, to discuss, but I don't think we have time. So, m- we might save it till later. Basically, the, the 2050 climate apocalypse thing. Uh, which has, you know, terrified both of us. A lot of scientists are coming out saying uh, it's a bit, the, the the data on this is not, on that particular study is not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to take... Are they looking farther out? Is it, so I know, I know the general consensus is oh, oh, really happening. Oh, you, you froze. Say that one more time. 
the general consensus I know is we have 12 years before uh, drastic stuff starts happening, like before shit hits the fan. Well, I think it's actually more so. So what it is more so is we have 13 years. Well, now 12 or is it 11 years? Jesus Christ. We have little over a decade before certain things are locked in. So, Mm. okay, so so that doesn't mean that the apocalypse is going to happen by 2030. What it means is that irreversible damage is going to be locked into the system that will then play out over time. Does that make sense? So we will still have time to mitigate the damage. We will. But but there is a certain but there is I mean, a lot of damage is already locked in and even more damage is going to be locked in horribly if we don't make immediate action but that damage is not going to be immediate in some cases it it will feel very very swift like you know gigantic fire you know firestorm sweeping through california that's going to be swift that's going to be immediate but it's more complex in other words but but basically what uh, what scientists are saying and and we can look over this this uh paper more deeply uh, I was looking for it, and I actually can't find it right now. But if I remember correctly, uh, hold on, hold on. Let me let me see if I can pull it up. I put it in my files here. Up, up, okay. up, 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 up. Purple potatoes. No, that's for Hoppy. You, um, let's see here. Purple potatoes. Yeah, someone is someone is uh, keeps calling the store asking for these purple potatoes that we had at our other store before that other store closed. And it's been a whole thing because they want their fucking purple potatoes. They need those purple potatoes. They're going to die if they don't get those purple potatoes. It is the end of the fucking world. And so, you know, I'm I'm doing my best. I'm trying to get them their purple potatoes. Okay, let's see here. Uh, it's probably under my to-review file. Calling Atheism America. I'm sorry to make... Easily... No, it isn't. Jesus Christ. What did I do with this article? Well, I'll find it. I'll find it and we'll discuss it later. Uh, but basically saying that the numbers are really inflated and that the science in this particular study is not good. That the drastic, that that saying civilization is going to end by 2050, that's not true. That There's no evidence of that. Uh, numbers put, uh, base, basically they said that, you know, 50 percent of the global population is going to be subject to deadly heat waves. What they they really messed that up. And basically what scientists are saying is, yeah, no, the numbers that they're drawing from are numbers that say if one person in the population, usually elderly and very weak, dies uh, as a from a result of heat, then that is considered a deadly heat wave. And so degrees as high as 86 fahrenheit oh well i mean i work outside in 100 degree yeah. weather yeah exactly so do you see what i'm saying so saying that 50 percent of the human population is going to be exposed to deadly heat waves and then the the threshold for that heat being 86 degrees that's that's really bad science. That's very very bad science. Um, it said that a billion there are going to be a billion climate migrants. Um, the UN has put the number at ten million. Okay, it's still bad. Like ten million is a fucking nightmare. Like that is that's horrific. That is absolutely horrific. It's not a billion. <laughs> like these, like right. these numbers ten, matter. Ten billion people is, or ten million people. That that's that's a large number. That's that's basically like that's an entire the, country. That's an entire country worth of displaced people. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say that's like the whole se- the whole southeast is like wiped out. Yeah, ex- I mean it's it's bad. It's horrific, and but it's not a billion. And so, you know, these numbers matter and it gets to the point where these numbers feel so huge. They all kind of conflate into each other, but they, but they're, they're still differences and we need to keep our heads screwed on, you know? And so it's still bad. We still need to act. It's, it's still very, very, very serious, but human civilization is not going to end as far as we know. Um, 
So anyway, well, but but we can cover that article in greater depth next week. Um, so we are coming up to our hour. As usual, thank you so much, patrons. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you. I And uh, thank you for... Uh, and th- Hold on. Let me back up. Thank you, everyone <laughs> else. Thank you, all of you. So I'm just going to read through all my patrons here. Um, so... Uh, Arthur Westwell and Brian Hager and David Dashafin Keys and uh, David Lemke and D. Sanders and Donald Guffey and Elaine Dillingham and Grace Utajik. I can't say her last name. I'm so sorry, Grace. And uh, Lauren and Lawrence uh, Benjamin and Matthew Lutz and Michael Edwards and Naomi Beeman and Rachel Tan and Samuel Haber and Sebastian and Stephen and Timothy and Tyler. Thank you all so much. You are the best. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.